Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Nancy P. I'm recovered in Western Massachusetts and I'm um, your leader for this morning. Today is Wednesday, April 6th, and today we're reading from the big book and we're on page XXVII, the last paragraph beginning with, of course an alcoholic ought to be freed, ending with psychological measures to be of maximum benefit, reading just the one paragraph. Today's reader are, readers are Reva P. and Crystal P., and Terry J. is reading the 12 Steps. Joni C. is reading the 12 Traditions. Sharon S.H. is the newcomer greeter. And Barbara P. is the host for the second hour. The reference numbers for Tuesday, the 5th of April, 7 a.m. is 18782. And that's 18,782. And 10 a.m. is 18783, 18,783. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from a compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Terry J. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. Star one. This okay. is Terry J. reading the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, Humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you, Terry J., for reading the 12 steps. I will now ask Joni C. to read the 12 traditions. Hi, this is Joni C. from Minnesota, gratefully recovered but not cured. One, our 
common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Can't hear you, Nancy. Which I'm sorry. No, I'm there. I'm I'm back. Sorry about that. Um, thank you, Joni C. And um, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page XXVII, the last paragraph, beginning with, of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed, ending with, psychological measures to be of maximum benefit, reading one paragraph. Now, I will ask Reva P. to begin reading. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. Of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor. 
and this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measure, measures can be of maximum benefit. So the first thing I notice is if I go right from that paragraph that starts with of course, and I go across the page, I'm hearing exactly the same message because on the previous page around the same line it says it's imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached. But in case I wasn't paying attention, um, this is what the big book does. It tells me the same thing over and over because sometimes I'm not paying attention um, and I'm not getting it. So um, yeah, same message and of course is like a must. Um, and if I was unclear about whether you know, do I work the steps first or do I put down the food? Do I do this first or do I do that? It's, it's actually really very clear. Um, they're talking about the physical allergy and saying that my brain needs to be cleared so the food needs to be down. Um, I'm not supposed to be drunk on food ingredients, um, you know, items and behaviors while I'm working the steps. And a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures, which I would take as the steps, can be of maximum benefit. So maybe I'll get some benefit, but if I want to get maximum benefit, like if a doctor said, you know, if you take this pill X times a day, you'll get maximum benefit. Um, yeah, I, I would want the maximum benefit. And actually with this program, it's like half measure, measures avail me nothing. So I don't even know if you take like, you know, half a dose, you get half, you get sort of zero if I don't do things the way I'm supposed to do them. But what strikes me the most is this business of hospital procedure. Um, I was not in an inpatient program when I started working the steps and identifying my alcoholic foods, ingredients, and behaviors. But I heard a wonderful podcast by one of our lovely fellows who talked about um, the need to create a hospital environment when I'm just newly white knuckling, putting down the food, and just embarking on the steps. And how did I do that? Um, I was very fortunate. I was told that you know, 95% of my mental energy was going to be focused on keeping that food down. And I was going to be going through physiological detox. For me, I really felt the chemical withdrawal when I started um, letting go of my different foods and it felt like being on a drug for years and all of a sudden, you know, cold turkey going off that drug. So it was hard physically and I had to make, you know, like a, a hospital environment around me, no big decisions, not expecting myself to be on nirvana. Um, and just watch my expectations when I'm going through that phase. But very clear message, food down before we work the steps. And with that I pass. Thank you so much, Reva P. Okay, so um, get this back up here. Although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your share to every third day so that others may share their experience too. So if you today's Wednesday, if you shared Monday or Tuesday, please um, step back and let others have a chance to share. Who would like to share on that paragraph? Debbie V from Virginia. Terry K. Terry K. Louise C. 
from New York. Louise? Yeah. Okay. Mary Who's from Connecticut? Mary Ann D. Mary Ann D. Nancy and then there R, were a couple Nancy of us. C. Nancy R and Nancy C. Chris W. And Chris W. Okay, that's perfect. Okay. Um, I have Debbie V, Terry K, Louise D, Mary Ann C, Nancy R, Nancy C, and Chris W. Okay, Debbie V from Virginia. Go right ahead. Thank you so much. Thank you for your service. Thank you, everyone, for your service, for the team and all of us here. And welcome to the newcomers. Uh, I'm Debbie V, gratefully recovered, recovering in Virginia, one day at a time and never, never cured. Uh, my experience was uh, I was asked by my sponsor to put down the flour and the sugar. And that was my, my first step. And it was very interesting. My higher power did for me what I couldn't do for myself. We went on our honeymoon, and the gift was from friends. It was in the middle of the mountains, the Adirondacks. And we were in a place that had no running water. There was a phone that uh, I was able to make outgoing phone calls. I bought a phone ca uh, card to call my sponsor uh, every day. And I ate to a bell. And um, that was really, uh, it, it was my hospital setting, which was amazing. And I did that as, a, as my honeymoon for a week. And my, my spouse at the time ate with me and supported me. Um, and I so appreciate that. That was quite a gift. And that's how it began. And then it was a process. It was a process. It took me eight, eight uh, months to actually surrender and adopt uh, a food plan um, and then start weighing and measuring. So that was just my process. And today I'm so grateful to say that the promises are coming true, that I have recovery, and that my honesty, my honesty continues to evolve. And I, I do notice, and I did notice, that my recovery paralleled the ability to surrender the food and the food behaviors. And, uh, but for me, like the spiritual um, awakening, it came little by slowly. And uh, I'm here again, accounted for and open and willing. Thank you so much. Thank you, uh, Debbie V. Terry Kay, you're up, and please say, say where you're from. Thank you so much, Nancy P., for your service. This is Terry Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater in Missouri. Um, you know, I'm thinking about how the irony that, that we say, God, or higher power, power outside of myself has the ability to get me to, to remove this problem, right? Not not recover, not uh, he, not um, make me not a compulsive overeater, but to remove the problem if I take certain steps. And and so kind of it begs the question: Well, if, if God has all this power, why do I have to have clarity of mind? Why do I have to clear the the food, clear my alcoholic um, foods before I can start working this program? Why is that? Where where's God's power? And you know. My experience is that it's not because I—it's not because of lack of power that God has. It's because if I'm in the food, 
I'm relying on the food for my ease and comfort. I'm relying on the food to get through life, to get through the moment. And so it's not me not having the food, and I'm not being very articulate because I'm very tired, but me not having the food is not about because God doesn't have the power to, to get me recovered until I've put the food down. It's because I don't have the surrender. I don't have the ability to clear the path between me and my higher power when it's mucked up with food. I just don't. I'm not going to hear from God. I'm not going to allow God's um, ability to help me get discernment, uh, peace, all the things that come with these promises. And so um, there's, there's a lot of angst, I think, with, you know, how do I get the food down? How do I get the food down? Um, and it's just one minute at a time, you know? Um, and so I'm just so grateful that when I got here, I was willing to do whatever I was asked because I was told I had to put my food on paper before I ate it. I'd never done that. You know, it's like, I'll tell you what I ate after I ate it because i got to figure out what I'm in the mood to eat. You know, and so, um, yeah, there, there's a reason we do the things we do. It's the same thing at work, you know. We don't do things for naught. There's a purpose. And the purpose here, in my experience, is to take myself out of the picture and my methods that have failed me and substitute them with methods that have succeeded for so many others and give myself and my higher power a chance to have me join the ranks. So that's what I have and wish everybody a blessed day. Thanks. I pass. Thank you, Terry Kay from Missouri. Louise D from New York. Europe. Hi, good morning, everybody. Louise D. Um, you know, I love this paragraph. You know, we're all like snowflakes. For some of us, we're inpatient treatment, we're outpatient treatment, we have therapy. Um the hospitalization period for me was really needed because I used to use food to power up and be amazing and do a hundred things. And I need to stop doing that when I put the food down and I had to stop being everything to everybody and trying to do the impossible. Um, so that quiet where I wasn't, you know, in restaurants smelling certain things or having things go in front of my eyes was very helpful. Um, and I love the analogy of the, uh, the ocean liner, you know, like the, the cruise, it go, it, you know, it's, it's beautiful, it's luxurious, it goes halfway out to the ocean, you know, and that's all our treatment programs and everything we need to do maybe at first. Um, but then you got to get on the, the beach with the rowboat, with the funny people for the long-term recovery. You know, it stops, it turns around and points you back to that little rowboat uh, with the funny people. And every day we have to work this program we need our 12-step program. We need our fellowship and most of all, our higher power every day enlarging our spiritual lives through working the tools of this program. And it's so simple and, you know, it's so available to us. You know, so many of us have other programs we're in and this program and we have Zoom and we have telephone meetings and we have now face-to-face again. And for that long-term recovery, we, we have to... Um, you know, be part of the herd, be part of the group, and every day getting close to our higher power, working our program one day at a time. And thanks for that, I pass. Thank you so much, Louise D. Marianne C. 
was it from Connecticut? Star one, Marianne. Good morning, it's Marianne Diaz and Dog. Oh, I beg your pardon. Go right ahead. No, please, no worries, no worries. Um, so, what happened with me is that, of course, I've been fiddling about with uh, recovery for decades, like so many other people, never understanding why I could never, I could get straight, I could get clean, but I couldn't stay clean. And um, then the pandemic happened, and I had no, I wasn't involved in program at the time. I had no idea how you girls were getting together, and I didn't have the time to sit down and figure it out. But what happened is that I started to uh, listen to uh, 24-7 meetings of a different division and started to think about recovery again and started to think about being a person of integrity as I was still eating. And, you know, then um, my job was very stressful, continues to be stressful. But what happened is that in God's wisdom, on January 15th, I fell and um, I injured my knee badly and I couldn't work. And so uh, for the first couple of weeks, I was, of course, indulging myself in my poor me and having a great pity party now that food can be delivered to me. Um, And then I was listening, and I had a few false starts with sponsors. And then on February the 4th, I still, you know, I was out for 10 weeks. So I listened to the podcast on uh, alcoholic foods, and that really resonated with me. And red light, green light, um, what's the other one? Yellow light foods really resonated with me. And so I had the presence of mind, thank God, that while I was home, I was going to pretend I was in rehab. And I planned my meals. And I hooked up by that time. I was on my third sponsor. And that one seemed to stick. And we, um, you know, I wrote my food down, texted it over. We talked all the time. We started the step work. Each day I ate abstinently and planned abstinently. And I did the dishes in the dishwasher so that every day all my tools, my measuring cups, my teaspoons, my everything you need to do this was all clean and fresh for the following day. And I just said, it was like, I'm going to pretend I'm in rehab. I'm free from the stress of life. I'm free from trying to fit into my work clothes. I'm free from all of that. I'm going to hide out over here. And um, I'm back to work now three weeks. And it's really worked. I'm almost through my steps. And it was really a great gift from God, which, of course, at the time, I was like, why did I have to fall and hurt myself? (laughs) But God knows better than I do. Thank you very much. Good night. Boop. Goodbye. Thank you, Marianne D. Nancy R. And tell me your state, please. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Hello. Hi. Can you hear me? Yep. Where are you from, okay. Nancy? Sorry, I was having trouble with my phone. It's uh, Nancy R. From Illinois, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and um, hmm, just grateful to be on this line with all of you this morning. Um, putting the food down is the first of many miracles in this program um, because I um, I don't know how to put the food down, you know, and I kept eating it and eating it and eating it and. Um, being stuck in the I don't care um, part of this disease. And, um, you know, one day last October, um, I just had the willingness to put the food down. And 
thank God, because my life is totally different today. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what was different last October from every other day when I kept picking the food up. Um, but I'm so grateful for it. And it's like it says in here, you know, to be able to put the food down to to begin the process of of working these steps and getting to a place of spiritual awareness and awake awakeness that um, that you know just gives me the ability to keep the food down and to keep free of the strange mental twist even when it comes up and and the, so I'm just really grateful today and um, thankful that we're all here on the that I'll pass. Okay, thank you, Nancy R. Right, Nancy C. And tell Good Nancy, morning. I know, I know you. Just tell me where you're from. <laughs> Sorry. Morning. That's all right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Nancy C. Gratefully recovered in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Nancy P. Thank you for your service and everyone on Team Wednesday today, and for everyone who puts this meeting together every day because this meeting has saved my life. Um. I am full of so much gratitude today that we're in the doctor's opinion, and hopefully people read the part on the vision page talking about how this is starting over and gives people who are new to the program just the footprints to find recovery. And this paragraph is important to me because it really does say that the food has to be down before we can do anything. But how did we get here? You know, it says later on in the book that deep down in every man, woman, and child, there's the sense of God. God got us here, even though we didn't realize he did. He got us to the point of where we're talking to somebody about a hospitalization phase, right? So somebody is there helping us. And it's saying that, you know, we should be free of the food um, before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. What are those psychological measures, they're the spiritual tools in this program. That's the finding God and uncovering all the stuff so that we can see him clearly and be able to have him take our addiction away from us and remove it if we just surrender. And the other thing, somebody else said it the last time we were going through this, is that it talks about, um, you know, when we go to the hospital, we don't go alone. Somebody always takes us. People always visit us. People stay and sit with us. And that's what this program is about. We're never alone anymore. We always have people that are there to help us whenever we need help and will help us through this hospitalization phase, help us figure out what our alcoholic foods are, help us get from minute to minute keeping it down till we start working the steps and finding recovery. And then we turn around and do that to the next person once we get recovered. This is an amazing program, and if you're new, you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now. Hang on and don't leave, don't leave before the miracle happens. Thanks, Nancy. I pass. Thank you, Nancy R. I'm sorry, Nancy C. Um, from Michigan. Okay, Chris W. Hi, this is Chris W. Chris with a K from Nashville, and. Gosh, I'm just so happy to hear um, so much talk about uh, putting down the food um, and having a list of what those foods are, the red light, yellow, and um, green light, because 
I think that was a huge thing for me to be able to um, really see exactly what those foods are that triggered me into, you know, binges. I was binging every single week for I don't know how many years. And um, and I, I didn't ever want to give up the food, but somewhere I got some, a little bit of um, abstinence and then went on a tangent and broke my abstinence for a short time. But what really helped is to, that I just had all those foods out of my house. And now I'm, I'm just feeling so much more recovery in so many other ways. And to have the want to, to leave those foods alone, because I've had a few times lately where I'm seeing, like maybe I'm, I'm watching TV and that someone will order a pizza and I want that pizza. And it's like, oh my gosh, I don't eat pizza anymore. And I don't have to jump in my car and zip down the road to um, the, now they have drive through at the Pizza Hut, they don't have inside. So I could, you know, zip over there and pick that out. But now I just feel like I'm the same way that I've felt for almost, well, it's been over 40 years, 42 years of sobriety. And I recoil as if from a hot poker when I even think of drinking a drink of alcohol, but I could never get there the same way with the food. But now I have those foods. I know those are dangerous foods. And it's just helped me so much to finally have more emotional recovery and um, more patience and tolerance with people because I'm not always fighting that food and sneak eating and getting into, you know, lying about what I'm eating because I didn't, I never wanted to give up the food, but somewhere in all this, I'm free from um, those binges and I'm just very grateful to be here today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chris W. Chris with a K from Tennessee. Um, okay, so now we're going to um, take some more names. I just want to remind everybody again that although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your share to every third day so that others may share their experience. So again, anybody who shared Monday or Tuesday of this week, we ask that you step back and let somebody else share. Who would else would like to share? Duke in Rhode Island. Oh. Colleen Duke. M. From Aaron Colleen K. M. Duke in Rhode Island. Aaron, I got you, Duke. Aaron K. Thank you. Melissa. Crystal. Toby. Okay. Crystal. Toby. That was Toby from um, Massachusetts. <laughs> Rachel P. Rachel P. All right, this is who I have. Um, Duke from Rhode Island, Colleen P, Aaron K, Melissa C, Crystal P, Toby, I need your last initial, and Rachel P. Hopefully we'll have, I think we'll have room for everybody. So uh, Duke, go right ahead. Good morning, Duke uh, Overeater from Rhode Island. It's uh, good to be here this morning. I really like this uh, particular reading about a man's brain must be cleared before this, um, 
before he is approached as he has a much better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. You know, um, when I came in in 1988, I remember going to my first meeting and, you know, I said to somebody like, you know, how do I do this? I was 450 pounds. I was 28 years old. And uh, they said, and, and the wisdom that I got from an old timer said to me that alcoholics drink their sugar. We eat our sugar. Flour turns into sugar and sugar is sugar. And that was as simple as it was given to me. Um, and, you know, um, and I said, you know, like, what do I eat? And so I got a, I got a sponsor and, and my sponsor said to me, meals have a beginning and they have an end. You know, how do, what do you do kind of thing? And, you know, it was like no more putting the pots and pans on the table that I had learned growing up. It was like making a plate, putting it down. When my meal started, it started. And when it was done, it was done. And I didn't understand. I wasn't given the doctor's opinion at that point in time. It wasn't until I was about 13 years in that I had relapsed. And I went to big book step study meetings in Massachusetts that I was introduced to the doctor's opinion. And this whole notion, again, of the allergy actually came up, which it was never described as an allergy previously. And that's what worked for me. And much like the food, when it talks about the sex inventory, we're not the arbiter of anybody else's sex conduct. I'm not the arbiter of anybody else's food plan. I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a nutritionist. I don't know if you have high cholesterol. I don't know if you're diabetic. If you have hypoglycemia, I don't prescribe a food plan. I tell people to get a dietitian, a nutritionist, look at dignity of choice. And then, you know, there's a lot of discussion, the buzzwords, red light, green light, you know, you know, and what I can tell you today is as a result of my brain being cleared and then doing the work and then practicing on the altruistic part, which is me helping somebody else without the absence of any motive, with the absence of any motive, you know, that I don't have the desire. Um, other people's food is not my food. So that's it for me today. Thank you. Thank you, Duke from Rhode Island. I like that, Duke from Rhode Island. Um, okay, Colleen D., you're up. Hi, Nancy. Thank you for taking the meeting. This is Colleen M. as in Mary from Maryland. Sorry. That's Sorry. Okay. Um, um, I haven't spoken in a while, and I wanted to focus on the um, the behaviors that have kept me blocked from my higher power. I've had the food down for several years, but have gone through a period of being unrecovered and disconnected from my higher power. And my higher power has shown me that there's some behaviors that needed to be put down. So I just kind of wanted to put that out there because I've been struggling with it and I, I've got to, I've realized that I have to be completely honest. And any of those of us that are, have been in the rooms for a long time and are not feeling recovered, um, you know, the longer I do this work, the more God reveals the things that I have to surrender to. I know Nancy understands that word, but, um, you know, the more I surrender, the more hope I'm getting that this will get unblocked and God will, um, as I've heard others say, make me want to be the person that he wants me to be. And I want to do these things. And, um, so I have a lot of hope today that I am going to get recovered and get rid of some of these blocks. But for me, it hasn't been just getting the food down, which is absolutely paramount because if I didn't have the food down, I wouldn't be here today. But um, my behaviors have to be 
down as well, those behaviors that block me from my higher power. So thanks for letting me share, and everyone have a great day. Um, I'll be here tomorrow. Thank you, Colleen M. Um, Melissa, I'm sorry, Erin Kay, you're up. Hey, everybody, this is Erin Kay, recovered in Michigan. Um, I am right at the beginning uh, of um, this uh, this process with a sponsee right now, and I so it just makes me think about, you know, this hospitalization period kind of thing, you know, right when you're putting all the big bad stuff down. And I actually tried to work the steps without being abstinent, and that did not work for me. Um, and then I, you know, when when it when I realized this was not working, and heard you know heard a presentation on the doctor's opinion I realized yeah I'm stuck in this cycle and and I know that I'm eating things that I am allergic to and it felt like even though I in that knowledge it just it was terrifying it felt like you were asking me to climb Mount Everest when I was you know putting these foods down and I like that you know I like the word hospital procedure the phrase because it's it, it's like a surgery almost like these things need to be amputated out of your life. Um, not just a period of procedure. And, you know, then it felt just insurmountable when I was facing it down, but, you know, and I appreciated so much what Nancy had to say, like, we don't do this alone. We do not do this alone. I was able to you know, find many someone's to help me through that. And, you know, if you're in that moment where you're looking up at Mount Everest and it feels like, you know, just terrifying, trust me, when you get through that, I look behind me now and it, it, it looks like a little tiny molehill, like a little anthill. It was so, in retrospect, honestly, just, I don't know what I was so afraid of. Um, and ultimately, I did just hit that surrender point of, well, I have all this fear about what life is going to be like without these things, but I really have a lot of hope for what life could be like, and um, it's, it's amazing. I have no zero regrets. So if you're scared, call one of us, find somebody to help you through, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Erin Kay. Uh, Melissa C., you're up. Hey, good morning, Nancy. Thank you so much for taking the meeting this morning. My name is Melissa Samer, recovered compulsive overeater. I live in New York. And yeah, I love, first of all, I love the, the seriousness of the word hospitalization because, um, you know, the doctor's opinion is written for someone just like me who has exhausted every other method. So that by the time I'm reading this and really open to it, I've um, surrendered to the fact that no diet is going to do the trick for me and that what I have is something so serious that nothing else has worked. And, um, and so words like hospital really speak to the fact that this is deadly. This is not just, you know, for me, it wasn't just Melissa needs to lose some weight. It was, it was, I needed to create a new life, that the life I was living was not working very well, and the weight was just the real outward 
manifestation of a life that was not working very well. And so, you know, hospitalization, um, yeah, it's not done in isolation. It's not I need to be sent in an isolation chamber and try to figure this deal out on my own. But it's with a lot of support and care. And I think about, you know, some of the amazing sponsors that I've had along the way. I'm really grateful to them. I, I had one who um, really took me by the hand and asked me, you know, that particular day, are you ready to start? And I said, yes. And then 10 seconds later, I thought, oh, crap. It's Saturday. I can't start on a Saturday. And I started rattling all the things off to her that I needed to do. And she said, um, I don't know if she used the word hospital, but she said, um, you know, it's it's like you've got to build a new life. And all those things you need to do, you may have to put to the side for a minute. And this particular woman, um, I mean, she watched my kids for me that I could, you know, take a walk around the block because I needed to move my body a little bit. That was part of my hospitalization procedure. And she, like, helped prepare food for me. I mean, she told me what to eat. I needed that. And I think today, you know, when you go to the hospital, they give you a meal card and you check off what you're going to eat for the day, and that's what you eat. Um, Outside distractions are at a minimum because if you're dying, nothing else is more important as not dying, as getting well. And um, I think that's the main point here is that this recovery, you know, getting well has to become the primary focus. And the other things, you know, that we're going to have the rest of our lives to work on these psychological measures, you know, to Gentle reminder. Thanks. But first things first is I've right, got to get clear of the food. Thanks for that. I'll tell Thank you, Melissa C. Crystal P., you're up. Crystal P., press star one. Can I be heard? Hello? We can hear you, Nancy. Yeah, Nancy. Yeah, you can be heard, Nancy. Thank you. Crystal? Everybody? Anybody? All right, we'll come back to Crystal. Toby, and tell me your last initial, please. Hi, good morning. This is Toby W. from Boston. And, uh, you know, reading uh, Grateful Recovering uh, Food Addict, Reading this where it said, you know, that we have to be out of the food and maybe a hospitalization. Well, I remember one particular um, relapse that I had. And then when I made the decision to stop eating, um, I swear it was as bad as possibly uh, any kind of of an addict. I had the shakes. I... This room was spinning. I couldn't um, get out of bed. Um, I almost had, well, I said I had the shakes. And um, if anybody had come in and started talking to me about the steps, I don't know what I would have thrown at them. And um, anyway, um, 
So I know how important it is, and thank you, God, that I am abstinent today, and I couldn't start listening to the steps or working the steps until I had some time uh, under my belt of good, clear abstinence. And time didn't require more than three or four days uh, for me. So I am very, very grateful, and I just wanted to share that, and I pass. Thank you, Toby W. Um, I'll ask Crystal P. Are you ready? Are you available to share? Hi, can you hear me? Yep, I can. Go right ahead. Great. Hi, good morning. This is Crystal P., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Toronto, Canada. When I first joined the program, I did not hospitalize. I did not put down all my foods. And even when I put down all my foods, I didn't put down the behaviors and the quantities. And I learned in program that for my head to be cleared truly, all those three things have to be down for me. For me, my foods, I had to actually get away from the idea of even red, yellow, and green. There were no yellow foods for me. For me, there was just either the food was heroin or it was not heroin. Either it was rat poison or it was not rat poison, and I could just touch none of it. Um, and then I had to look at my, uh, I had to put down all of the, my food behaviors as well. Because the idea that I can eat whenever I want to eat, the idea that I could eat in between meals gave me a high. It just gave me an effect that I could go for seconds, that I could eat off my plate. These are things that gave me an effect. The, uh, the third thing I had to put down was quantities. I had this, I, this feeling of safety that like, even when I look at a, a huge dish of food or a huge plate of food, it just gives me this feeling that's like, okay, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be safe. And I was getting an effect from that too. So only when I put down the foods, behaviors, and quantities, that's when I, there was now nothing standing between me and life. And I desperately, desperately needed a solution, which means I was then only willing to work the steps, which required me to think, feel, and act completely differently from how I had thought, felt, and acted the first 30 years of my life. Another thing I didn't do was I didn't take this program seriously or didn't really um, take abstinence seriously. Like I, in my first few months, I traveled internationally. I went on cottage trips where my friends were just binging most throughout the weekend. You know, I went for parties and restaurants and all of those kinds of things. And, you know, I just, I put, and thank you God, I stayed abstinent. There were many almost picked up and luckily, not luckily, by the grace of God only, you know, I didn't pick up, but I put myself and I put my abstinence through the ringer for no reason. Like it wasn't important. Like it was just, like there was a nonchalance to how I was treating this. And I very quickly realized that if I wanted to stay abstinent, I had to take it seriously. Today I can go where I need to and where I want to, but early on in the beginning, it's fragile because I haven't, I'm not in recovery yet. And I had to treat that with respect and with the importance it deserves. Thanks for letting me share. I passed. Thank you, Crystal P. Okay, Rachel P., you're up. Good morning. This is Rachel P., Recovered Compulsive Reader in Pennsylvania. And, um, yeah, the word hospitalization is, is really poignant in this paragraph. And, um, you know, when I, when I think about hospitalization in terms of alcohol, I think about detox 
right? And I haven't personally been to detox. I, I didn't go to a facility for my hospitalization with the food. I have known people who have done detox. And, um, you know, when it, when it comes to alcohol, um, you know, it says we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jittery or befogged, right? So that the jitters, um, the fogginess, the inability to think clearly, that's like physical withdrawal symptoms. And, you know, when we're um, trying to get sober, um, when, we're, when we're not using our substance, like for me, when I was not using what I learned to be my alcoholic foods, I would get itchy. I would get restless, irritable, discontent. I would crave those things like crazy. And, um, and I couldn't do it on my own. So I needed, you know, my version of hospitalization was getting a sponsor to commit to identifying those alcoholic foods. And, you know, in essence, as, as the process of detox does, like I had to create an environment with the help of other people. I could not do it by myself. Wherein going for the food, going for those alcoholic foods was not an option. So whatever that looks like for each person is necessary. And it does take this sense of desperation, you know, because for me, I had tried everything I could possibly think of over years and years and years of trying to control, trying to restrict, trying this diet, that diet, um, and I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable because so much of my day was taken up by what foods I was going to eat, what foods I was not going to eat, how long I could possibly not eat, um, you know, various plans and schemes and things. And so I needed a period of hospitalization, so to speak, where going for those foods was not an option. And I loved what I heard, what I've heard this morning, that, that hospitalization, that detox, if you will, is not done in a vacuum. It's not done in isolation. It's not done alone. So I, I needed the support of people in program. You know, I needed a community of people who could lift me up and help hold me accountable to not eating these foods because only then getting through that detox period could I effectively like have a clear mind to work the steps and find that, you know, spiritual awakening. Um, and, you know, in step 12, especially, you know, the altruistic piece of of serving other people, like living life like, with a completely new paradigm shift of, you know, turning, uh, switching from this place, thank you, of like complete self-centeredness to serving others and putting the food down is the catalyst for all of that. So thanks, I'll pass. Thank you, Rachel P. Okay, we have um, five minutes left. How about two, two and a half minute shares? Sarah Leah. Blanca uh, there, was, there was someone who I barely heard in the beginning. Um, and then Sarah we'll take, uh, it was before Sarah Leah, but you'll be second. Judith R. Judith R. Thank you. I knew you were there. Okay, Judith, go right ahead for two and a half minutes. Thank you, Nancy. Judith R. Gracefully recovered in Vermont. Um, when I was in relapse, <clears throat> I talked to a friend who happened to be the head of a of a treatment center in Florida for food addiction. And he said, if you don't, if, he said, do 90 and 90. And if you don't get abstinent in that time, come into treatment. And I was excited to go into treatment because I, somebody told me it was equivalent to a year and a half worth of therapy. And I thought, that's awesome. 
Um, but about halfway through the 90 and 90, um, which was very exciting, I went to every kind of 12-step meeting if I couldn't find an OA meeting. I did get abstinent and um, and I'm so grateful. With that, I pass. Thanks. Okay, uh, Sarah Leah, and your last name, your last initial, I'll need. Sarah Leah? Okay, how about Blanca BG? I heard you. This is Sarah Leah. Okay, go ahead, Sarah Leah. Can I be heard? Okay. Um, I uh, when, when I came into OA uh, almost 40 years ago, uh, there was no such thing as hospitalization. But when I went into OA, I was, I, I, I was absent and I got my sponsor the same day. And I, I lost it after a few months. But anyway, then I got absent again. And um, uh, there was no such thing as absence. But, but as someone else said, you know, my sponsor was um, I was accountable to my sponsor and I had to call her every day at four o'clock. And at that was a time with rotary phones and I didn't realize that my sponsor was mentally ill. But anyway, so years later I found out, so I would dial and dial and dial sometimes up to an hour thinking she had all these other sponsors. But what she had done was just take the phone off the hook. And, you know, and we did write our food down back then. I don't have to do it anymore, but, um, and, uh, you know, the steps were the thing. And I, one of the, bef, bef, before I relapsed, I, had, I was living in Illinois, and this woman said to me, if, if you have the steps, you have everything. And so that is what I concentrated on. I was also given the gift of desperation. I was totally desperate when I came in. I had no control whatever about what I was going to eat any, any time of the day. And... Um, and I'm so grateful for that. That is the biggest gift I've been given is that that uh, feeling, that desperation. Um, and uh, so anyway, I've been absent now for a long time. And I am just so grateful every single day. And I'm so grateful for this meeting. I only found you guys about a year and a half ago. So thanks for letting me share. Okay, Blanca BG, you have like one minute if you'd like to share. If not, we'll just close down early. Can I be heard? You can. Go right ahead for one oh, minute. Oh, my good morning. Thank you. Yes, I just wanted to say that <clears throat> I really love that um, <clears throat> they mention hospitalization at all because I wish I had taken advantage of that hospitalization. But I think at the time I felt it was, it was, a stig- it was stigmatized. You know, I felt, oh, no, you know, seeing a therapist or going into the hospital. I carried a lot of shame with that. But it says in the big book, if we need help, there is no shame in getting outside professional help. And that's one of the things that has kept me in OA for 21 years. At one point, I did seek therapy, and it was the best thing I ever did. And uh, But one day at a time, no looking back, and uh, now I know if that's what I need, that's what I can, I can get. Uh, That's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Thank you so much, Blanca. Okay, you'll be our last share for the day. And um, 
Thank you to everyone else who shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today, Wednesday, April 6th, is 18,786. That's 18786. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Crystal P. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only until uh, the end. Keep keep you until then. Uh, Crystal, please... um, Take it away. Good morning. Good morning. This is Crystal P., Recovered Compulsible Reader from Toronto, Canada. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.